Hey, I wanna welcome you to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. My name is Andrew. I am the lead pastor here at Mountain Park, and we are about to dive into week two, part two of our Vision 2030 series. So it's Monday. I've had a lot of really good AeroPress coffee today, like a lot. And I've had a lot of time to chat with our staff, to reflect, spend time listening to the Spirit, praying. And I've decided to scrap the live audio from Sunday, from yesterday. After hearing feedback from our team and listening back to a good chunk of it, I don't think that it is as clear, certainly not as concise or compelling as... I would hope it to be as I want it to be, as it feels like it is in my heart. There is something burning deep within me from the Spirit of God as it relates to this once-in-a-generation shift into a new season for the life of our church. And sometimes that bubbles out and explodes out more like a volcano and kind of goes everywhere, which is what I felt like Sunday was. I want to just do my best to rein that in and communicate in a compelling way what I believe God's vision 2030 is for us. So here we go into part two. Of course, you'll remember if you connected in with us from last week that the 30,000 foot view or perspective of our vision for 2030, the heart of God for our church is summarized and captured in this statement on earth as it is in heaven through you. This is our cry to become the kind of people that live the prayer of Jesus in the way of Jesus. Last week in part one, we talked about the beginning of this prayer of all prayers from Jesus. It's so interesting to note that after years of following him and being immersed in his life, the disciples, what they want to know is not how to preach. It's not how to do great uh, programs. It's not how to do spiritual gifts and all of these things as important as all of those are. What they come to the conclusion of is they must know how to pray like Jesus does. They must know the reality of the Father the way that Jesus does. They must have lives defined by the spiritual reality and priority of Jesus. So we have this calling as well to not be people who just know what the prayer is or people who grew up reciting it in school so we know it by heart, we need to be people that live the prayer of Jesus in the way of Jesus. This image, this metaphor that we presented last week is that of becoming a living cathedral that carries the tangible burning presence of our Father's kingdom and power. This is connected to Jesus's teaching that we are the light of the world. I don't see that as this little kind of flickering candle. I see that as this burning ignition of the Spirit of God in us. 
as we talked about this idea of being living cathedrals, I want to remind you that although these, these Gothic cathedrals, these majestic buildings that dot the landscape in Europe, these Gothic cathedrals were designed to be a place that people entered into, a tangible place that brought them from one reality into another one, that brought them from one kingdom into another kingdom. But the whole purpose of these Gothic cathedrals was to draw the light from outside, inside, through the beauty of that stained glass and wash those inside in a canopy of God colors, of the goodness and beauty of God. But our calling from God to be these living cathedrals is the opposite. It is actually to expose to the world and the darkness around us the beauty and uh, tangible presence of God's kingdom, the fire of his presence burning through our lives, igniting in us something that is beautiful and powerful and that radiating out of the quote unquote, the stained glass windows of our life, bathing the world around us in God colors that bring hope and restoration and renewal and all of that stuff. So our vision is to become the kind of people that don't just believe what Jesus said about that prayer, but people that believe what Jesus believed in order to lead him into that prayer. I wanna just stop and let that sink in for you. This is so crucial. Most of us stop at believing what Jesus said and did. We believe the stories we read about him, but that's not enough. We must move beyond that into believing what he himself believed about the Father. He was able to base his actual real life on this revelation of the reality of the father, what he believed about the father, what he believed about the father's kingdom and what he believed about the world. Those things that Jesus believed about the father, about the father's kingdom and the world around him led Jesus into living the kind of life he did. It's not good enough for us just to believe what Jesus said. We have to move into believing what he believed himself. Again, I wanna just let that sink in for you. Don't just believe in what Jesus said, but move into a direct experiential knowing and understanding of the Father, of the Father's kingdom and the world around you. Move into this deep experiential reality that shifts you into believing what Jesus actually believed so that you and I can begin to live the way that Jesus actually lived. So our vision is to become the kind of people who are willing to turn our everyday, ordinary lives over to the Father's will for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven through us. That's kind of how I would distill this at this point. This 30,000 foot vision is not a vision to 
build a, a brand, a, a social influence network. We're not trying to build an organization or some, you know, big thing. We're trying to build the kind of people in the Niagara region and around the world who are willing to turn their everyday ordinary lives over to the Father's will so that his kingdom can come on the earth as it is in heaven through them. I just want to remind you from last week that this is not about God's kingdom coming and arriving from another place. When Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, he does not mean that we should pray for it to come into existence as though it is nowhere to be found around us. It's already here. It is already present. What Jesus means is that we should pray for it to take over at all points in the personal, social, and cultural order where it is now excluded in our life. His prayer is a prayer, God, would your kingdom take over at all points of my life, in my priorities of time management, in my relationships, in my work, in uh, how I view money and how I view my marriage and how I view parenting and my children and would it come over in areas of my desire and human sexuality, would it come Um, into these areas of greed and my desire for power and influence and affluence and all of those things. What Jesus was praying was, God, would your kingdom take over? This is what Jesus meant when he also told us to seek first the kingdom of God in Matthew 6.33. That means to look for it everywhere in the real world of our lives. So our 2030 vision is not to build a church. It's to see God's tangible kingdom come in Niagara as it is in heaven through us, through you, through my life. We see as a part of this vision, men and women, as these living cathedrals of God's beauty, his presence and power all over Niagara, awakening spiritual revival in the church, restoring broken lives, freeing those bound in demonic bondage and bringing cultural renewal to the earth. We wanna see the kingdom of God and the beauty of his kingdom be a blessing to the lives of those people that we get the privilege of interacting with. That's kind of the summary of last week. So then this week is, then to begin to answer and talk about that question, then how will we do that? That's all fine and good. That's great vision. That's great concept, Andrew, but how do we begin to actually do that? So I wanna propose to you that on earth, as it is in heaven, through you, is by living the way of Jesus for the renewal of Niagara. The way that this vision can happen is by living on mission, as it were, and our, the way we're gonna bring this down to the earth through our own lives is by living the way of Jesus for the renewal of Niagara. That by and for are two key words in this. So I wanna just draw your attention to it, uh, our teaching text 
for this idea. And what we are going to unpack right now is the beginning of that statement by living the way of Jesus. That's where we're focused in. In the weeks to come, we'll move into the ending of that statement for the renewal of Niagara. But this is about unpacking what it means when we say, by living the way of Jesus. So, book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. This is what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. A complimentary uh, passage for us with that is Luke 6.40. Again, these are the words of Jesus. Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. What we are wanting to hone in on here are these specific words that Jesus uses in both of these passages. Slightly different wording, but the same thing. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and, and this is the key, puts them into practice is like a wise man or woman. In Luke 6, he says, the student who is fully trained. What I want to suggest to you is that living the way of Jesus is not just about agreeing with what Jesus said about who he was and who you are and how he's the way to the Father, those things are all true. But living the way of Jesus requires us to put what we say we believe into practice. That the way of wisdom for our lives, the way of Jesus is the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom is to begin to practice what we say we believe. To enter into training instead of trying. Dallas Willard has this to say about the offer of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. He says, the really good news for humanity is that Jesus is now taking students in the master class of life. The eternal life that begins with confidence in Jesus is a life in his present kingdom, now on earth and available to all. So the message of and about him is specifically a gospel for our life now not just for dying. Again, we are calling each other, we are calling you to begin living the way of Jesus now. The really good news of Jesus, the news that he proclaimed, the message of Jesus, the dominant message of Jesus is, was not about salvation for some reality in eternity. The message of Jesus was the news of the availability of the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke about and declared the kingdom. 
That was the great emphasis of Jesus's life and his teaching. And that good news is the news, the announcement that God's kingdom is here and it's available and it's available for your everyday real life now. God's kingdom is available for the areas of brokenness and pain and trauma that you're in. God's kingdom is available in areas where you need wisdom and discernment and counsel. God's kingdom is available in areas of uh, finance and future and business and entrepreneurship and uh, you know your vision for your life. God's kingdom is available now. That's the good news that Jesus was saying. Another way to put all of this would be to use the words of Jesus from Matthew 7. It's to begin to put the teaching of Jesus, the example we see of Jesus in the Gospels and in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, to begin to put that into practice. So living the way of Jesus as we come back to this beginning statement, living the way of Jesus is putting the teaching of Jesus, especially the Sermon on the Mount, into practice in our own lives for the renewal of God's kingdom in us and the renewal of Niagara through us. So there's an in and a through component that's so crucial here. So again, Andrew, that's all fine and good. That sounds great, but why is it so hard? We all live with this gap, this chasm for most of us between what we read in scripture and what we see in our everyday life as it relates to our walk with God, as it relates to the kingdom of God around us. We see this chasm between where we would like to be spiritually and where we just actually are. We see this chasm between how we would like to pray and how we actually do pray. We see this chasm between uh, how we would like to respond and react to crisis and conflict in our life and the reality of how we actually do do that. Why is it so hard then for us to live the way of Jesus and see the fruit the, the results of that, the way that Jesus saw in his life and the way that the disciples and the followers of Jesus seem to see in the New Testament and throughout history. I wanna to propose to you two things right now. There's more than this, but two things. Number one, it's hard to live the way of Jesus because of how we think of Jesus. It's hard to live the way of Jesus because we believe Jesus has something to teach us about sin, and how to go to heaven, but we often don't view Jesus as generally smart or wise in the affairs of our normal human life. We see Jesus as a saint, but not as a sage who is wise in the ways of living. This is so common for so many of us. We see Jesus as someone who can help us with our sin management problems, with how to get to heaven, Maybe we see him as someone who could help us pray or maybe study scripture, read scripture. Maybe we see Jesus in these ways, but we often don't see him as the wise person to receive counsel from in the affairs of our ordinary life. We generally don't view Jesus as 
that sage of wise living. And the evidence is all over the place. The evidence of that is found in who we turn to online, the social influencers that we turn to for our life hacks, whether it's life hacks in business, life hacks in wealth management, life hacks in health, life hacks in mental health. All of that, we, we turn to so many people for counsel and wisdom in all of these areas of our life. And often we don't even consider that Jesus might have something to offer, something to teach us, some way of approaching that that would actually be the way of the kingdom. And I, I love it too. I, I check in with Andrew Huberman online, the Huberman Labs or whatever it's called. And there's a few of his life hacks that I've sort of adopted into daily routines. One of them recently has been to uh, drink water and then wait like an hour and a half before I have coffee. And I don't even understand all of the science behind what's happening in my body physiologically, but I've, I've begun to introduce this habit of as soon as I get up, I, I drink water, then I move into a time of prayer, maybe an hour of prayer and meditating on scripture, listening to the voice of God, training my attention to be on God. That's my morning training routine of how to give my attention to the Father. Then after that, I have coffee and then I connect with Eli and we go through some scripture and stuff like that. That's a great hack, like starting with water. But why is it that I'm turning to all of these other influencers for stuff to do with my body or, or how to manage finances. Why are people flocking to the Gary Vaynerchuks and to the Grant Cardones and to you know all of these influencers instead of Jesus? It's because we actually, if we're honest, we don't even consider Jesus as someone who is wise when we're dealing with mental health issues. Where do we turn right away? And, and I fully believe in and would endorse, um, you know, visiting great therapists and, and you know, walking into those relationships and, and, and leaning on those kinds of tools. That's great. That's fantastic. But at the same time, are we inviting Jesus into these spaces of our life? It's so hard for us to live the way of Jesus because we often relegate him to this small little sliver of our life. Just as an example, if you're working full time, the bulk of your life is spent on the job. How do you or do you bring Jesus into the middle of your work environment? If you're not, if you're not asking him, Jesus, how would you lead these meetings? How would you engage with my employees and my staff? How would you engage in this conflict or confrontation? Jesus, what would your strategy be for writing this proposal or whatever? Like there's a hundred ways we could do it, but if we're not inviting Jesus into these places, that's a huge part of our life that is cut off from his presence and his kingdom and his life. And so one of the ways 
or reasons it's so hard to live the way of Jesus is simply because of how we think about him. The second one is it's hard to live the way of Jesus because there's confusion about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. There's confusion about, in the most basic sense, what it means when scripture uses that language of disciple. What, what is that actually talking about? And there are so many interpretations of what that actually means. There's so many ideas within the church as to what is being said or meant when that word is used. And I'm sure those of you who are listening now, if I asked 50 of you what it means to be a disciple, I'd get 30 different answers. And this is part of the problem is we don't have a common language a common definition of what is meant. And so part of what I want to do with this is begin to build common meaning and understanding. When we use the term disciple, this is what we mean. And so here's, you know, a beginning stab at that. The Hebrew word translated as disciple is talmid, and it means a student of a teacher or philosopher, not just a learner. Okay, a student is a practitioner of an embodied way of life, one who is diligently working to be with and become like his master. The English word apprentice might be the best equivalent of what we are to envision when we hear that word disciple. But even at that, Jesus's model of apprenticeship, it wasn't like our Western education system. So when we think of disciple, often our mind gravitates right away to university classes or the way we were educated through high school, which was in university, which is a content dump, an information cataloging and dumping, but not an applied living. Jesus's model of apprenticeship wasn't like our Western education system. Learning wasn't so much about retaining data as it was about gaining essential wisdom for living, absorbing it from those around him. This was the ancient method whereby rabbis trained their Talmudin or disciples. That's from a book called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus by Spangler and Tverberg. So to follow Jesus then meant to walk alongside him in a posture of listening, learning, observing, obedience, and imitation. The other key that we need to build into our understanding, and, and this is like a major reformatting for us, is that Talmud is a noun, not a verb. The, the word disciple in scripture comes in noun form, not verb. So this is what John Mark Comer says in his book, Practicing the Way of Jesus about this. If disciple is something that is done to you, a verb, then that put the onus of responsibility for your spiritual formation on someone else, like your pastor, church, or mentor. But if disciple is a noun, if it's someone you are or are not, then no one can disciple you but Rabbi Jesus himself. Here's another way to phrase it from Dallas Willard. Another important way, and I'm quoting Willard here, 
Another important way of putting this is to say that I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I'm gonna read that first sentence again because this is like the crux of what I'm trying to communicate to you today in this session, this part of our Vision 2030 series. This is the crux of what it means to live the way of Jesus. Another important way of putting this is to say that I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I'm learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. My main role in life, for example, is that of a professor in what is called a research university. This is Willard speaking now. As Jesus's apprentice then, I constantly have before me the question of how he would deal with students and colleagues in the specific connections involved in such a role. How would he design a course and why? How would he compose a test, administer it and grade it? What would his research projects be and why? How would he teach this course or that? that my actual life is the focus of my apprenticeship to Jesus is crucial. For a disciple of Jesus is not necessarily one devoted to doing specifically religious things as that is usually understood. To repeat, I am learning from Jesus how to lead my life, my whole life, my real life. Note, this is Willard again, please. I'm not learning from him how to lead his life. His life on earth was a transcendently wonderful one, but it has now been led. Neither I nor anyone else, even himself, will ever lead it again. And he is, in any case, interested in my life, that very existence that is me. There lies my need. I need to be able to lead my life as he would lead it if he were I. And this is the basis of apprenticeship to Jesus. It's not categorizing and siphoning off this spiritual category that includes going to church, doing Bible studies, praying for dinner, and praying occasionally when you get a chance to. That's not what apprenticeship to Jesus is. Apprenticeship to Jesus is leading your life as he would lead it if he were you. So here's another way to say that. I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. Back to that Willard quote. We're not necessarily learning to do everything Jesus did, but we are learning how to do everything we do in the manner that he did all that he did. Do you get that? So we're learning how to do what we do but in the way that he would do it if he were in our shoes. We are learning to live the way of Jesus in our ordinary lives. That's where everything begins. That's where becoming a living cathedral of the presence and power of God begins, not by being someone else or something else, not by having, you know, um, a killer time on Sunday morning, encountering God's presence in church services and walking in his anointing, in healing and in spiritual gifts and in ministry in that one hour environment. No, no, no. Apprenticeship to Jesus is living our lives in the same manner that he would live them. So becoming a living cathedral 
for the tangible presence and power of God is not about being a super religious person, you know, uh, a crazy, devoted, master Christian. It's about adding God, the presence of Jesus into our normal everyday stuff. It's not about just adding and trying a bunch of extra spiritual things and tacking them on to your already busy, frantic, distraught, full, and overwhelmed life. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about adding more stuff to try that's religious. We're talking about living your life, parenting and raising your kids engaging in your marriage, walking through the halls of your school, entering into your workplace every day in the way that Jesus himself would if he were you. So this isn't about being a super Christian or having all the right answers. It's about cultivating the presence of God in your life in such a way that you are growing to know him more personally. This is about cultivating the presence of God in your life in such a way that you're growing to know him more personally. And as such, you're learning to trust him more with what is really important in your real life. This is about living the kind of way, i.e. having the same kind of priorities daily in your life that Jesus would have had. This is about let's boil this down. This is about having the same daily schedule Jesus would have if he had your job, if he had your family, your marriage, your dating relationships, your responsibility, your bank account, your investment, your resources. This is about living the way of Jesus. How would Jesus approach all of these things? That's how our lives become a living cathedral. But we have, as we mentioned last week, these counterfeit alternatives offered to us by the world, the flesh, and the devil. These are a counterformational force in our life. And we identified them, these counterfeit alternatives, as castles and fortresses. If God wants to build us into these living cathedrals, we have this counterfeit temptation from the world, the flesh, and the devil to build lives that are castles or lives that are fortresses. So let's begin here. The vision of God for your life is you'd be willing for his kingdom to take over in you, in your heart, soul, mind, and strength, i.e. your desires, character, attitudes, and actions. This is what Jesus said the most important commandment was when he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He would say, being willing for God's kingdom to take over in your desires, your character, your attitudes, and your actions so that his kingdom can come to earth as it is in heaven through you. So there's an in you and a through you. There's a strong temptation for all of us to build castles, all right? That's a counterfeit to the vision of God that we become these living cathedrals. There's a strong temptation for us to build castles. That's a life built around money, sex, and power. Strong temptation from our world to orient our life around money and accumulating wealth accumulating 
um, prosperity and accumulating possession and, and living for that or living for sex and the gratification of every carnal desire and, and fleshly desire or the, gra- or the desire for power, for influence, to have um, you know, prestige and to be the object of people's attention and all of that stuff. There's this temptation for us to build castles, which is a life built around money, sex, and power. Or there's a temptation for us to build fortresses, which is a life lived in fear, separation, and defensiveness instead of allowing Jesus to build our lives as a cathedral. So the starting place, this is where we're landing for right now. The starting place of living the way of Jesus, becoming that living cathedral is very practical, super practical. The priorities of our daily and weekly schedule reveal whether we are building cathedrals, castles, or fortresses. So here's the question. Is my day organized around the same priorities Jesus organized his day? This is not about trying to do all that Jesus did. It's about organizing what you do around the same priorities Jesus had. So again, uh, Jesus isn't interested in only helping you to deal with your sin or how to get to heaven one day when you die. Jesus has a way of living that is wise for your whole life. And the way he prioritizes his time offers us wisdom for how we can live out and prioritize the kingdom of God in our own time. Jesus's way of prioritizing our time, his time though, deeply challenges us. And here's the challenge. Ordering our schedule in the way that Jesus ordered his own challenges how deeply we trust God with the real issues of our life. Do we at the end of the, of the day believe that we are the only ones that can make it happen for us? That unless we step up, unless we produce, unless we control, that our good life will never come into fruition, the vision we have for our own life. So this beginning point is, is this, and this is what I want to just invite you to linger on right now and linger on this week. Ask the Holy Spirit, go to him and just take a few moments each morning and ask him this simple question and then just sit in quietness for a few minutes. Just sit without any further questions or dialogue or anything like that, ask the Holy Spirit what he wants you to know about how you currently prioritize your days. Ask him if there's anything he wants to challenge and ask him what it would look like if Jesus had your schedule, your family, your responsibilities, your job, your finances, and your dreams. So question at the end of this part and living the way of Jesus is what is one thing the Holy Spirit is inviting you to adjust about the priorities of your daily life.